Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, July 15th, 2022, the 541st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. As always, a warm welcome and hello to all of you who are listening to this show on the day of its release. In order to do that, you must be a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can subscribe for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. It works out to less than a quarter per episode, and you will also get all of the writing as soon as I drop it, regardless of any paywall. It is your support that allows me to keep devoting the time I need to produce this show and to do the research that supports it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot express my gratitude enough. Now, this may feel like a blast from the past. If you listen to this show in the second half of 2020 and throughout 2021, but I want to start the show today talking about redeemable communists because I haven't done that in a long time. And for those of you who are not familiar with that term, the people I'm talking about when I say that are the people who have spent some or all of the last two plus years still asleep. 
still denying the reality that is in front of them, still ignoring all of the conflicting information, the ideas that they hold in their head simultaneously when they know that one or both of those ideas are not true. Like, for instance, that masks work, that lockdowns were a good thing, that vaccines are still very safe and effective and that people should get them to somehow protect themselves from the coronavirus. The people who don't understand that the 2020 election was stolen, the people who believe it's not possible, even though they know it is possible, and that politicians on their own side have told them many ways it's possible. The same people who believe that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president who only won the 2016 election because Russian interference. Now, to continue holding those ideas These people should realize that these are ideas they hold that they cannot support at all and cannot even truly explain the content of any of these beliefs as they exist in their minds without running into obvious contradictions. Now, is that very dumb? Yes, it is. Does that mean that I'm saying everyone who holds these very dumb thoughts in their head has a low IQ? No, I'm not. But IQ is not the only measure of intelligence. If you cannot separate fiction from reality and you cannot make good decisions in important situations because of it, well, then you may have a high IQ, but it's not doing anything for you. If you completely accept the truth of a false reality and you're immersed in a false reality, where everything you know is wrong. And because of that, and because of the way the false reality twists our moral thinking, then there's no way you can end up reaching smart conclusions. And I'll give you an example. If you were to say to a liberal who believes that Joe Biden won the 2020 election with 81 million real legal American votes, the way it was reported to us, and you ask them to support their position, they'll say a few things. They'll say that it was the most safe and secure election of all time, just repeating the words of Chris Krebs at CISA, even though CISA released a report about the machines. Actually, it was a report about the J. Alex Halderman report a couple weeks ago, where they discussed all sorts of vulnerabilities to the voting machines. And the fact that they could be hacked, they could be manipulated, especially if someone had physical access to the machines. And we're supposed to accept that all the election workers are doing their jobs in good faith and nothing could ever go wrong. They could never even be tricked into doing something that would open the machines for manipulation. But again, we know that's not true. So the CISA statement is just wrong, and it was wrong at the time based on things we already knew and that they certainly had access to. They could have accessed the J. Alex Halderman report, and I imagine that they probably had it at the time. The report already existed. It had appeared in court cases prior to the 2020 election. And they'll say Donald Trump brought all these court cases and none of them overturned the election. They don't understand that some of those court cases are still ongoing. They don't understand that Donald Trump has not yet conceded the 2020 election. 
and they don't look at any of the court cases. If they did, they would see that the evidence in those cases was not shown. And in the cases where it was shown, those cases were often decided in favor of Donald Trump, like the one last week in Wisconsin, where the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled the drop boxes illegal and unconstitutional. And that accounted for well over 100,000 votes, and they estimate probably close to 200,000 votes in Wisconsin. That's a game changer all by itself, but they don't know and they don't care. The reason they bring up the court cases isn't so that they can then defend their position about the court cases through knowing about the court cases. It's that they know that that's one of the arguments that says they're right. It's one of those things everybody knows. It gets repeated and repeated and repeated. And when they hear something repeated that many times and they don't hear that it's wrong, they just assume that it's right. They don't need the underlying information because the assumption is that someone on their team, someone smart and good at their jobs and acting in good faith has told them the right thing. And they know it's the right thing because it supports their position. And that's particularly easy to go with when you don't account for the fact that the media feeds propaganda to the public 24 hours a day and that any information that might refute their point of view is systematically censored. They don't account for that at all. So they're allowed to run with what everybody knows because in any given crowd they're in, someone else in that crowd agrees with them. Everybody knows that Donald Trump lost all his court cases. The court saw the evidence and threw the cases out. That's not true at all, but they don't care because they believe they're expressing the widely accepted view that is no longer up for discussion. It just is the truth now. So they don't have to support it. They don't even have to be able to substantiate the claim at all or the reasons why they believe it. They just have to say it. And they think they have the cover of smart people, you know, people like them and the media and the experts and even some people on the other side, meaning people with an R next to their name. If people with an R next to their name agree with the Democrats, that must mean the Democrats are right because they imagine that. Republicans are hell bent on having only people with R's next to their name in power, and they want to take us all back to the Stone Age because they still think in that Democrat Republican paradigm where the two parties and more importantly, the establishment of those two parties are at loggerheads. They can't stand each other. All they want to do is defeat each other. So anytime a Republican agrees with the Democrats, it's because they can no longer continue to lie about the facts. The issue is just too important. It's a matter of conscience. And so they need to say what the Democrats say. And because Republicans believe it also, that means it must be true. We actually don't need to check the claim against a verifiable empirical reality or against logic or against anything else. The media says it. Everybody knows it. Even some Republicans say it. So how can it possibly be wrong? They'll say Bill Barr said he hadn't seen any evidence to that point of fraud that would change the outcome of the election. 
He said that, I believe, in early December of 2020. And they assume because Bill Barr is on the other side that whatever he's saying must be true. It's out of a sense of duty that he is disputing Donald Trump's position on the election. And there could be no other explanation for why Bill Barr is saying what he's saying. Do they hate Bill Barr and think he's an evil liar? Yes, but not in this instance because he agrees with them. So it turns out that Bill Barr actually has a conscience and that's why he sided with them. Liz Cheney's in there. Her dad was Dick Cheney, someone that all these people have called a war criminal for their entire adult lives. But then they also believe that his daughter just has this overwhelming sense of duty to the United States of America, and she's acting out of conscience in trying to prosecute and indict Donald Trump in an illegitimate congressional committee that actually doesn't even have the power to bring charges against anybody. And so despite her family's history of deception and treachery and the evil they've wrought in our world, now Liz Cheney is simply acting out of conscience. And so it's only right that we give her our full support. And as far as the 2020 election goes, they really don't have anything else to say. And they are so insecure in that belief that they've spent the last year and a half suggesting that the federal government should be able to take over the running of elections. We don't need voter ID that's racist. We do need ballot harvesting. If you aren't for ballot harvesting, then you're trying to suppress the vote. And that's racist. We need universal mail-in balloting. If you're not for universal mail-in balloting, then you're trying to suppress the vote. And that's racist. We don't need to clean up the voter registries, even though they're filled with illegal immigrants who are not by law allowed to vote. And even though there are millions of extra inactive registries in states all over the country, most of all in California. If you want to purge the voter rolls so that only legal eligible voters are on them, well, then you're trying to suppress the vote and that's racist. If you want to make sure Mark Zuckerberg's money or anyone else's hundreds of millions of dollars being flooded into the states and into the counties and the towns and the cities to increase turnout for one side and manipulate the outcome of an election. If you want to disallow them from attempting to buy elections, then you're interfering with the process. And because he pushes the most money into communities with large minority populations, if you don't want that, then you're trying to suppress the vote of large minority populations. And once again, you're racist. If you don't like the ballot drop boxes and you don't understand why anyone could possibly need that because no one possibly does, then once again, you're trying to suppress the vote. Therefore, you are racist. And if you ask them to substantiate in any way how it could be possible that the American electorate grew by 20% in one election cycle. It went from a typical turnout average of around 130 million votes. It went all the way up to 156, 157 million votes, a good 26, 27 million extra votes in one cycle. Well, they'll tell you that what made that possible was all the stuff I just listed. Most importantly, universal mail-in balloting. 
that goes out to everyone on the voter registry, even as we know that millions of extra voter registrations from ineligible or inactive voters exist on the registry. And all of that is okay. Now, none of those arguments address at all the underlying factual claims about whether or not the election was stolen. Are there fraudulent votes? Was fraud any part of the process? Were the elections properly administered according to the law? Can you make fact-based arguments based on verifiable evidence from an empirical reality to support the idea that Joe Biden got 81 million votes, real legal American votes, while not leaving his basement? It turns out they can't answer any of those questions except to people who also exist in the false reality where everything they're saying is something everybody knows. And because everybody knows it, it must be true, even though they can't substantiate it at all. And they make the bet that if it turns out that they're wrong about one or two claims here or there, or someone challenges their knowledge on any issue, None of that matters because they have the overall story correct. There's no way they could be wrong about it or all these other people like them wouldn't also believe it. Their views and their beliefs exist relative to other people's views and beliefs. If there are enough people there that believe as they believe, they can't be called stupid because everyone else would therefore be stupid too. And it actually doesn't matter how thoroughly or how many times You can disprove the factual basis of all these arguments on their side. It doesn't matter at all because underlying all of that is the real truth they actually depend on, which is people like them are educated. Educated people look to other people that are educated to confirm their views about the world. And all of these people that they pay attention to within their informational bubble, who they believe are educated all believe as they do. Therefore, it must be right. Even if none of those people, including the very educated ones, can prove a single bit of it. And not only can they not prove it, they will not even substantiate the claims on their side with fact-based arguments. They will simply repeat the received and accepted knowledge. So despite whatever underlying intelligence they might have based on something like IQ, They're reaching only bad conclusions. And the truth is that everything that supports those conclusions is just as weak and just as wrong. No matter how well they can repeat the central narrative that exists to support these false claims within the false reality, every small piece is wrong and the whole thing overall is wrong. That is what they believe cannot be possible. There's no way the whole thing could be wrong. And that is what we are ultimately bumping up against. And I'm not saying all of this simply to call those people stupid, although they are stupid right now. Maybe they won't be stupid forever. Maybe they will reattach themselves to reality and become smart once again. But right now, very, very stupid. I'm saying this Because I used to inhabit that mind. I used to be immersed in a false reality. I used to accept the truth of that false reality. Not to the extent these people do, obviously, or I wouldn't have made it out much more quickly than they did. But in some part, or even in large part, 
I accepted the truth of that false reality and I acted according to what I thought was correct within the false reality. And that's the distortion. You can't come to good conclusions when most of what you know is absolutely wrong. Eventually, it destroys your ability to discern right from wrong. It destroys your ability to extract meaning from the events in the world and the events in your own life. And without the ability to extract meaning, there is no way to even begin thinking about problems in any moral sense. And so I talked so much about redeemable communists because I know what it's like to be that person. I know how hard it is to get out of that, but it's nonetheless still necessary, not only for the future of our country and our society, our relationships with our family and our friends, but also our own selves, the state of our eternal moral soul, because at some moment. There is going to be a near total reconnection with reality. And at that point, it will be undeniable. And the people who are not prepared to accept that the false reality is indeed a false reality and they have to leave it. The ones who can't accept that will attempt to stay in it while everyone else has moved on and they'll go absolutely insane. That's what I don't want to see happen. And I don't want to see my former friends and family spend the rest of their lives as good Germans, the people who just went along with everything, no matter how evil they went along unquestioning with everything. Should we lock down society? Should we call certain people non-essential workers? Sure. Should people be forced to wear masks that everyone knows don't work? Yeah. Should people be fired from their jobs and removed from society because they don't want to inject themselves with an experimental gene therapy? Yes. Is it okay to lie about a stolen election because you are so horrified about another term of Trump? Yeah, just go right along with it. Doesn't matter. It's just too important to allow Donald Trump to be president again. Should we keep sending money to neo-Nazis in Ukraine? Yes, we should. Why? Oh, because they're not neo-Nazis. If they were neo-Nazis, we wouldn't be supporting them, you see. And we are supporting them, which means they're not Nazis. Because people like us would never support Nazis. And the people making the decisions about all this stuff, well, those are people better than us. They know more than we do. I mean, we don't know anything about history. If they tell us that these aren't Nazis, who are we to dispute it? And they've gone along with all of it. The censorship, Nazis did that. They burned books, but censorship. Now you see, we're just defeating disinformation. So they go along with that too. Their government works in coordination with corporations that have all of our data. They know everything we think and say and do. And it's a okay that those corporations work with our government to censor our friends and neighbors and family members. Because it's just so important. We just can't do any more of that Trump time. We can't let his supporters take over. And at some point, you recognize all of this for what it actually is. It is bigotry. It's a hate movement. They're trying to destroy the people they classify as other. And a lot of them aren't huge advocates for these things. 
but they will rationalize them and justify them as necessary because they don't want to contend with the idea that they might simply be wrong about everything. If they're wrong about all of this, it means they're wrong about everything. They've been lied to for a very, very long time and they've eaten it all up and they've acted accordingly. They have been terrible to their family and their friends and their neighbors because of this. And if they can't take that hard stance, they'll just pretend we've all lost our minds or maybe we just got too involved with the misinformation and we've been led down a path, as Ray Epps says. But the truth is that they just cannot even conceive of the idea that they might not be the smart ones. They went to college. They have a college education. So that means they're very smart. They know how to come to the proper conclusions and everybody else like them believes it. Everybody else like them says the same thing. Everyone else is on their side. So it must be right. And the thing is, they don't even believe that they can consider they might be wrong because that will change their lives in irrevocable ways. They would be forced to leave the party of false decorum or they would be kicked out. And if that were to happen, they would be left with nothing because their lives have been built around impressing those people they need to impress by saying the right things, by portraying themselves in a certain way. That's how you advance up the social ladder. And they know they'll be punished. They know they'll be punished by their own friends and family for expressing opinions that those friends and those family members think are wrong and think are bad because they're even more deluded, even more attached to the false reality, even more invested in their status within the party of false decorum. And I bring this up because they can't be convinced of any of the little parts because once they start accepting the little parts, they know that that's going to lead necessarily to them accepting the whole thing. And that's what they want to avoid. They cannot possibly be the stupid ones. People like them cannot be the stupid ones. They can't be the wrong ones. Not about this, not about something so fundamental to their worldview. So they not only have to support the thing as a whole, they have to support each and every individual part of it. They can't give any ground despite the factual evidence you might put in their face because they won't let go of the big thing. And the big thing is their status in the party of false decorum, their own self image. They self identify as smart and informed. And I bring this up because I was having a conversation about some of these uprisings across the world that are happening all over the Netherlands, Sri Lanka, Italy, China, to some extent, more politically in France and Germany, and even to some extent in the UK. But the people within the party of false decorum believe that the people around the world who are rising up against regimes that align politically with the party of false decorum, which they should realize are the richest and most powerful people and institutions in the entire world, big business, big tech, entertainment, media, the legal system and judicial system, the universities, the public health community, the establishment of both political parties. All of that supports the same agenda. It aligns with them. It aligns with the party of false decorum. There's no way all of that could be wrong. And so if the people of the world are rising up against that, that means the people of the world must be wrong. And how could so many people be wrong? Well, they're victims of 
misinformation and disinformation and malinformation. They are, in fact, low information voters. They barely know a thing. But here's the problem. All of those people rising up against that thing are actually supported by all of the evidence, including the overwhelming evidence that the world is aligned. Those regimes are aligned, working toward the same agenda. That is a verifiable fact about the world that they simply deny or don't understand. They can't even comprehend it. So all of these people in the world are low information voters in comparison to people who will admit that they don't know the substance of any of their own beliefs. They just assume it must be true because they identify as smart. They identify as educated and all the people around them in their lives, the people like them and the people better than them, people who have achieved higher status within the party of false decorum, all believe the same thing for the same reasons. And they can't all be wrong. Surely Somebody must have looked, somebody must have been able to substantiate the factual basis behind all of these claims. It's why they still believe in the fact checks. Oh, that's been debunked. Oh, that's been fact checked. I don't need to watch 2000 mules. That's been debunked. They just can't fathom the idea that they might be wrong. The people they're calling stupid might not be the stupid ones. It might be they themselves who are stupid. They're the ones that are wrong. There's no way that could be because they are high status individuals who could never be wrong about something so fundamental. So other people are low information voters compared to people who in every way measured against empirical, verifiable reality are no information voters, literally no factual, true information goes into their calculations about anything political. They think every counterargument from the other side is disinformation and conspiracy theory. So they don't even engage the arguments to figure out what might be there. What are the people actually saying? What might I have gotten wrong? Never asking yourself what you might have gotten wrong is the mark of stupidity. And I'm not saying it's permanent. You could simply wake up, reattach yourself to reality and not be stupid anymore. And it's got nothing to do with some abstraction like IQ. You can't go around being wrong about absolutely everything that matters in your life and still be considered smart. I'm sorry, you just can't. That would be like thinking that someone is good at basketball just because they're tall. Like, yeah, you've got one of the parts of potentially having an advantage in basketball, but that doesn't mean you're using it right. It doesn't just magically override all the things you might be doing wrong. I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. I think he's the greatest athlete of all time. I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan, but it would be this easy to make Michael Jordan bad at basketball. If you were able to convince Michael Jordan that scoring in his own basket was the way to win he would instantly become one of the worst basketball players in the world because that's not how the game is played. If he accepted a false view of reality about the rules of basketball and he refused to stop scoring in his own basket, awarding points to the other team, then you'd be like, yeah, I don't know what it is, man. 
This guy has all the traits one would need to be very successful at basketball, but he just doesn't get it. He keeps doing the wrong thing over and over and over and over and over again, no matter how many times he's told. What matters is how the skills are applied. What matters is how IQ is applied. When you're immersed in the false reality and accept the truth of the false reality, there is no way to actually be smart in the real world. And this is a very long prelude into discussing what will be a true test of just how insane and detached from reality these people are. There's been a meme, and I think it's on t-shirts, where it says this wasn't a pandemic, this was an IQ test. Well, we're about to find out just how true that is in California very soon. This is from the LA Times yesterday. LA County on verge of indoor mask mandate as deaths and hospitalizations rise. Sustained jumps in cases and hospitalizations fueled by the hyperinfectious BA5 subvariant pushed Los Angeles County into the high COVID-19 community level Thursday, a shift that could trigger a new public indoor mask mandate by the end of the month unless conditions improve. Health officials have long said the county was inching closer to the metrics for a new mask measure, and those warnings are now closer than ever as the latest COVID-19 wave continues to wash over the region. Should L.A. County remain in the high COVID-19 community level, which is defined by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for the next two Thursdays, a new masking order would be issued with an effective date of July 29th. If L.A. County falls back to the medium level during either of the next two weeks, the clock would reset, pushing the earliest date for any new mask order into August. However, given continued increases in cases and the potential for a corresponding rise in hospitalizations over the weeks to come, at this point, it's much more likely that we will stay in high for these next two weeks, said County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. Now, Barbara Ferrer is not a doctor or a scientist. She has a master's in public health. Her job is to be an administrator and do what she is told by people above her in the hierarchy of government and in the public health community. Now, let's see what they just said. They are inching closer to the metrics for a new mask measure. So they have arbitrary standards underlying this whole thing based on what they think acceptable levels of community transmission and infection are. We have watched them take this approach for two years. It has always been meaningless. It has always been wrong. They have not been right about their projections at any point. And we know the tests don't work. The tests that they base all of this on yield upwards of 90% false positives. We also know that upwards of 90% of COVID deaths as recorded based on false tests and many other factors involve people who are over 70 years old and have an average of four comorbidities. COVID is generally not the primary cause of death listed on their death certificates. It's just another factor. But we're told that LA is at medium and it could be on the verge of going to high. And if it hits high, then we need to reintroduce mask mandates. Even though the CDC has said those masks don't work, cloth masks don't work. They've admitted that now. 
They tell people that, oh, the N95 masks and the KN95 masks, those will work. Everyone just needs to get those, except no one wears those properly. Those have a chance of working if everyone wore them properly, but no one does. You cannot properly wear a KN95 mask if you have stubble or a beard on your face, if you're a man or, you know, now a woman, because the mask can't properly seal to your face. If you go out and you sweat or it's raining, the mask gets wet. Well, it doesn't work anymore. If you take the mask off and put it back on, the mask doesn't work anymore. Even if you're just doing it to take sips of water and bites of your food at a restaurant, doesn't work anymore because that's not how those masks were designed. And that's not the situation for which those masks were designed to help. And since absolutely no one does wear those masks properly, the truth is that none of the masks anyone wears are helping at all to reduce the spread of an aerosolized virus. It is literally impossible and everyone knows it. But nonetheless, we are told the residents of Los Angeles County are told that if these arbitrary metrics continue to rise, if L.A. County itself reports to the people that these arbitrary metrics have risen, then what we need to do to solve that problem is implement a measure absolutely everyone knows doesn't do anything. Okay? If masks work, why didn't they? How come there is no proof anywhere in the world of masks or mask mandates doing anything at all to slow the spread of the coronavirus, but they don't care. They say things like better safe than sorry. It could catch a droplet because that's true within the false reality. It's not true in empirical verifiable reality. It doesn't even make a bit of sense when you compare the size of the virus to the size of the holes in the mask and the fact that people don't wear the KN95s properly at all. But let's pretend for a second that masks actually did work and that these people really cared about saving lives. Why wouldn't they implement the masks immediately to avoid the situation where we might get into high transmission? Oh, it's because they're trusting the science. They don't want to force people back into masks. It pains them to do it. It's just necessary, you know, to flatten the curve to slow the spread, to make sure you're not killing someone's grandma. However, given continued increases in cases and the potential for a corresponding rise in hospitalizations over the weeks to come, at this point, it's much more likely that we will stay in high for these two weeks, said County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. With high rates of transmission fueling the increased risks, sensible safety precautions that can slow down the spread of the virus are warranted. And that includes universal indoor masking, she said Thursday. A renewed mandate would apply indoors for those two and older at a familiar host of establishments and venues, including shared office space, manufacturing and retail settings, event spaces, restaurants and bars, gyms and yoga studios, educational settings and children's programs. That's right. They want to make it mandatory that you mask your kids, despite 
all of the problems masks have caused for children, all the stunted growth, all of the emotional damage that will play out throughout their lives and will eventually play a part in determining the way they perceive their own parents. We still have to do it because it's going to slow the spread. And they don't deny that all that happens, but we just can't risk going from medium to high for a virus that is in every way comparable to a mild seasonal cold, to a virus with a lower infection fatality rate than the average flu. It's necessary to mask your children despite whatever damage it may cause because the people need to remember that they must comply. They must give their government additional power to run their lives. And why? Because midterms are coming. Because riots are coming. We need the masks. We need the fear. Importantly, though, masks would not be required for those using outdoor spaces, as the risk of transmission in those settings is significantly lower than it is indoors. But you see, the thing is, masks don't actually make any difference in either setting. Patrons would also be able to take off their masks indoors when actively eating or drinking. Though the county is still a few weeks away from possibly mandating indoor masking, health officials have strongly recommended the practice for months and continue to do so. We are not closing anything down. We are not asking people not to gather with the people they love. We are not asking you to forgo activities you love, Ferrer said. We are asking you to take a sensible step when there's this much transmission with a highly transmissible variant to go ahead and put back on a well-fitting high filtration mask when you're indoors around others. And I think that's the prudent thing to do. Better safe than sorry. The CDC's COVID-19 community level is a three-tier measurement of coronavirus transmission and hospital impact for counties in the worst category on that scale. High. The CDC recommends indoor public masking, even though the CDC also admits that masks don't work, which is why Ferrer specifically mentioned well-fitting, high-filtration masks. Once again, accepting the truth that cloth masks don't do anything and that poorly fitting, high-filtration masks don't do anything. So they're imagining a perfect scenario that does not exist and cannot and will not exist in the real world and assuming that that is good for the entire population. They'll save so many lives. Being in the high community level means L.A. County has observed at least 10 new weekly coronavirus positive hospitalizations for every 100,000 residents. See, completely and totally arbitrary. They're not saying that those people have gone to the hospital because of COVID. They're saying they're both at the hospital and have tested or been assumed to be COVID positive. The latest rate was 10.5 new weekly hospitalizations for every 100,000 residents, according to the County Department of Public Health. So 10 in 100,000 are hospitalized with a positive COVID test or a likely COVID diagnosis, 10 out of 100,000. So that's one out of 10,000, which is not 
And it's not 0.1%. It's 0.01%. When 0.01% of the population is both in the hospital and has tested positive or been diagnosed likely COVID, we have to make everybody wear masks that don't work again. That's the science. That's up from a rate of 8.4 the previous week, according to the county. Last week's combined rate for L.A. and Orange counties, which was published by the CDC, was 9.7 out of 100,000. Los Angeles County hasn't been in the high community level since late February. And we know that back then the place was just falling apart. Everybody was dying just left and right. People were screaming, oh, won't you let us wear the masks again? But their cries fell on deaf ears. No, we can't let you wear the masks. We are only at medium right now. But in the interest of time, let's just focus on what Barbara Ferrer herself, the masters in public health, who is now deciding how the citizens of Los Angeles County must all comport themselves. Let's see what she has to say. Many people feel like the risk is a lot lower right now, and there's no need to worry. We're saying there is need to worry. This variant is, as everybody has noted, highly infectious, easily transmitted from person to person. We need an additional layer of protection, and this is the additional layer. So this variant, this very scary variant, BA5 or BA2.75, they just keep making up new numbers, is by all accounts the weakest variant yet. Nothing should have been done from the beginning. I am more than happy to make that argument. We would have been better off in every single way if we had done absolutely nothing, no response whatsoever to the coronavirus. We would be a much better society for it right now. You want to have older or high risk people self-isolate by their own choosing? Go right ahead. People can take prudent mitigation steps, things that they believe in if they think they help. But we know for a fact that masks don't work and lockdowns don't work. And the hospital protocol is basically a death sentence. Remdesivir and a ventilator, you're going to die. The vaccines that we were told prevent transmission and infection and hospitalization and death don't prevent any of those things. In fact, the only reason that any of those things have gone down in any instance is because the virus itself doesn't cause serious illness or hospitalization or death, except in a very small number of people, almost all of whom now are either the category we described before, older and significantly sick in other ways, or they're vaccinated. But back to Ferrer, she also says, the reality is that because we are living with a mutating SARS-CoV-2 virus, there remains uncertainty around the trajectory of this pandemic, she said. The best way to manage the uncertainty and to reduce morbidity and mortality is to remain open to using both the sophisticated tools we now have, our tests that don't work as admitted by the CDC, our vaccines, which don't work as admitted by the CDC, and our therapeutics, which don't work as admitted by the CDC, and the non-pharmaceutical strategies, masking, ventilation, and distancing. And the only one of those that even works theoretically is proper ventilation. 
to layer on protections to respond to the conditions at hand. Something that doesn't provide any protection cannot possibly provide an additional layer of protection. It is comically stupid. And I don't know why the LA Times didn't include this quote in their article, but it is in the Gateway Pundit's write-up of this. This is another quote from Barbara Ferrer. I think it's really hard to look at the LA County data and not notice who continues to be hardest hit and not notice that we still have lots and lots of people with severe illness, lots of people who die and lots of people with long COVID and not want to take a fairly straightforward step to try to layer in some additional protections. So you got that. If you're against masking, then you are for trying to harm the most vulnerable people in our community, which means that you hate old people and you hate poor people and you hate minorities because, you know, minorities are poor. So the question becomes, will the people of Los Angeles actually fall for this? Now, some definitely will. Many people there have been wanting the mask mandates to return so that they can identify one another as being on the same side. And so they can once again gain the power, the publicly approved power to bully other people into compliance. They're going to feel self-righteous and justified in doing that again, and they cannot wait. And I actually look forward to this happening because when they see that people aren't complying to a much higher degree than six months ago, that's going to be a bit of a shock to their system. They're going to find out that maybe people don't want to be bullied anymore like they have been for the last two plus years. And in terms of a place like LA, truthfully, much longer, not about COVID, of course, but about literally everything that intersects politics in any way. These people are completely losing the plot. And that's what you might expect when everything in their belief system is a product of their acceptance of the false reality. This is from yesterday in Forbes. COVID sparked largest Sustained decline in global childhood vaccinations in 30 years, WHO says. The COVID-19 pandemic helped fuel the largest continuous decline in global childhood vaccinations in three decades, from 2019 to 2021, according to data released Thursday by the World Health Organization and UNICEF, which called the numbers a red alert for child health. And this is basically an Axios style article where you just get a bunch of important bullet points. Roughly 25 million children in 2021 alone missed one or more doses of a vaccine called DPT that's seen as a marker of childhood immunization coverage. It combines diphtheria, tetanus and pertussis up from 2 million who missed one or more doses in 2020 and 6 million from 2019. The percentage of children who received three doses of DPT dropped five points to 81% between 2019 and 2021, according to the data. Declines were steepest in low and middle income countries, including those in East Asia and the Pacific, though coverage dropped in every region of the world. The consequences of the drop in vaccinations will be measured in lives. UNICEF's executive director, Catherine Russell, said in a statement, adding the problem could lead to more outbreaks of preventable diseases, more sick children and greater pressure on already strained health systems. 
And also, they're not going to say this, but they really don't want a control group when it comes to vaccines. You just have to trust them that vaccines save lives. I wonder if when they measure this in terms of lives, the data might actually show substantially better outcomes for these children. Only 15% of children around the world have had the first dose of the human papillomavirus vaccine, which prevents infections that cause cervical and other cancers, according to UNICEF and the WHO, despite the first vaccines being authorized 15 years ago. How did people survive before? That's crazy. And I'm sure there's no negative side effects whatsoever for the HPV vaccine. Oh, here's a big number. 18 million. That's how many children did not receive a single dose of the DPT vaccine in 2021. And now they're all dead. The share of eligible children who had the first dose of the measles vaccines dropped to 81% in 2021, the lowest level since 2008, according to UNICEF and the WHO. The WHO warned in April of a rise in measles outbreaks around the world, with 17,338 cases reported in January and February 2022, up from 9,665 cases during the same period in 2021. The organization said pandemic-related disruptions, including difficulty accessing vaccines, were leaving children vulnerable to the disease, which spreads quickly as vaccination levels decline. Oh, no! UNICEF said a slew of factors led to a drop in vaccination coverage, including an increased number of children living in zones of conflict where officials struggle to offer access to vaccination, a surge in misinformation, as well as problems caused by COVID, such as supply chain disruptions and containment measures that limited access to immunizations. Oh, yeah, there was no priority whatsoever to funnel mass amounts of funding to make sure they could vaccinate as many people as possible with as many vaccinations as possible. They didn't try that at all. The COVID-19 pandemic led to significant disruptions in access to routine health care in the U.S. and around the world, with many delaying preventative care due to safety concerns and overburdened health care systems. Experts hoped 2021 would offer an important opportunity to make up for immunization progress lost during 2020, but DPT vaccination fell to the lowest level since 2008, with uptake for several other vaccines also declining. Tackling COVID should go hand in hand with vaccinating against diseases like measles and pneumonia. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said in a statement, adding it is possible to do both at the same time. And to people trapped in the false reality, all of this makes sense. The problems were logistical, mostly, but also misinformation about vaccines. It couldn't be all those low information voters, you know, the people of the world actually paying attention, beginning for the first time to pay attention to what they were having injected into their children. Why could they have woken up to that new mindset? Well, it can't be that the vaccines that we were told would stop the spread of the virus. They would prevent infection. They would prevent transmission. In fact, vaccines is how we reach herd immunity and we can stop worrying about COVID forever. The vaccine was going to prevent all that stuff. It was going to prevent serious illness and death, too. And now, of course, they admit that it doesn't prevent transmission or infection or serious illness or death. But that's all disinformation, despite them admitting it. You see, it's disinformation because it leads you 
to the wrong conclusion, the conclusion that perhaps vaccines don't work. And if they don't work, why are they forcing us to take them? It seems like they must have some other motive than saving lives. And it turns out that not only do the COVID vaccines not have any positive benefits, there are actually a lot of downside consequences to taking them. There are a slew of negative outcomes, including death. There's at least some possibility that you must embrace when injecting yourself with the experimental gene therapy that your physical health could be irrevocably damaged as soon as you inject yourself. The proper conclusion to reach if you are engaged with reality is you should not take the shot. You should not give your child the shot. That is the smart conclusion to reach, but they don't reach it. They just keep going. They keep going along with all of it. Doing something that verifiably provides absolutely no benefit and also exposes you to a significant risk of negative outcomes for absolutely no reason is rock dumb. It is stupid. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. It's garbage in, garbage out. You have accepted the totality and the truth of a false reality, and now you apply it to your thinking and reach only terrible outcomes. How is it possible to be any more stupid than that? And let's go to the Daily Mail. Health experts are quitting the NIH and CDC in droves because they're embarrassed by, quote unquote, bad science, including vaccinating children under five to, quote unquote, make their advice palatable to the White House. Two of America's top health agencies are reportedly hemorrhaging staff as poor decision making described by staff as bad science has led to low morale. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the National Institutes of Health are both suffering staff shortages. According to Dr. Marty McCary, a top public health expert at Johns Hopkins University, who writes at Common Sense, the substack run by former New York Times columnist Barry Weiss. And Barry Weiss is part of that very, very intellectual class who figured out the most basic falsehoods of the COVID narrative a year and a half or two years later, and is now seen as one of the most cutting edge thinkers inside the informational bubble and inside the central narrative, which she still has not left. She is very much one of the thought leaders within the party of false decorum. Major decisions made by the agencies that hurt morale include support for masking in schools, school closures during the pandemic, and the authorizations of COVID-19 vaccines for children four and under. The employees of these agencies are leaving the agencies, we're told, because of decisions like this. But Barbara Ferrer of L.A. County, a public health expert, is still enforcing two of these policies, masking for children and vaccinating children. And when the school year comes around in another month, we might begin hearing about school closures, too, in L.A. County. Both agencies, along with the Food and Drug Administration, have been mired in controversy throughout the pandemic for inconsistent messaging and for decision making that didn't seem to line up with available science. 
oh, it's almost like they lied. It's almost like their motivations should be questioned at this point, that we can't just assume that their motivations are saving lives and producing positive health outcomes. They have no leadership right now. Suddenly, there's an enormous number of jobs opening up at the highest level positions. An anonymous NIH scientist told Common Sense. Schools became a battleground of the COVID-19 pandemic in America. When the virus stormed the world in 2020, many officials immediately shut things down. Schools, retail stores, entertainment venues, restaurants. Out of a fear of the unknown. Initial data showed children suffered limited risk when they contracted the virus, though. And it was mainly the elderly and severely immunocompromised that bore this virus's burden. In fact, children show no risk, virtually no risk of severe negative health outcomes. Not one child has been reported to have died from COVID, from COVID, not with COVID, which there are still only a few hundred, but from COVID, not one child. Yet we are told they should be vaccinated with an experimental gene therapy that can destroy their heart for their entire lives or potentially sterilize them or produce any number of other negative outcomes. There are miscarriages in mothers who have taken the vaccine. There are deaths of babies who are breastfeeding because the mothers took the vaccine. But we're still told that children should be injected with an experimental gene therapy for a disease that has not and cannot kill them. While individual school districts were allowed to make decisions for themselves, and many Republican-leaning counties did quickly reopen schools, many major metropolitan areas under Democrat control kept schools closed for extended periods of time. Earlier this year, Macari told DailyMail.com that the decision to keep schools closed was one of the worst made in the pandemic, specifically citing that minority communities who disproportionately lived in these areas were set the furthest behind academically. But of course, it wasn't just school closures. It was lockdowns in their totality. But Marty Macari can't say that or else he might lose his job at Johns Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins is one of the institutions most primarily responsible for the covid response. In fact, it was Johns Hopkins University's Center for Health Security that wrote the manual on how the new pandemic would be handled. If you don't believe me, you can search in the info stream for SPARS, S-P-A-R-S, or you can go to any non-censored search engine on the internet and find it yourself. SPARS Pandemic 2025 to 2028. It is a long document that displays the war game scenario on how the narrative of the pandemic would be handled to achieve the proper outcomes. What are the proper outcomes? Changing society in total, helping to implement the Great Reset Agenda, the World Economic Forum Agenda, the Global Communist Agenda. That is literally what that document shows. That document was produced at Johns Hopkins University. And the rest of the article is just the repetition of certain different COVID narratives. But the point is that we are being told by people like Marty McCarry, who, while being better than the health experts on CNN, is still very much a shill for the public health community and pharma. That the people now at these agencies, two years plus after this 
pandemic began, are leaving their positions out of a sense of integrity and duty because they are worried that the White House is making them take bad science out to the world. Now, the fake and illegitimate administration does not need to be defended here in what I'm about to say. This is no defense of them whatsoever. They absolutely are part of perpetuating this false narrative across society. But this is nothing more than an attempt to shift the blame from the public health community, from the agencies, the bureaucracy, the FDA, the NIH, the CDC, to the White House. We're talking about people who absolutely must have known that the information and the guidance being produced by their agencies has been based on falsehoods the entire time. There is no way they cannot know that because an overwhelming number of their peers are saying the exact opposite things to what their agencies are producing. There is no shortage of world-renowned doctors and scientists and experts who dispute every element of the central narrative. So it's impossible to imagine that all of these people in these agencies just figured all of this out. Why are they leaving two years later? And I know we're supposed to believe that they thought they're staying and being a positive force at the agency was what was morally required. I mean, it also completely helped protect their paycheck for an extra two years while people's lives were being crushed intentionally by an authoritarian state that they were supporting. But just imagine how much worse it would have been for everyone else if they weren't there making their very positive contribution. Oh, it wouldn't have made any difference for everyone else whatsoever, because if they tried to make a positive contribution, they absolutely failed spectacularly. Oh, yeah, that's actually the outcome. The only people who received the positive outcome were the people who silenced themselves in order to stay in their jobs and keep getting paid. And who are these people? Where are they? Why aren't they out there whistleblowing? Why aren't they out there sharing their experience in these agencies, telling us every way these agencies went wrong? It's almost like they're looking out for their own needs. Still, they don't want to be the last on the sinking ship. So they're getting out and they're shifting whatever blame they refuse to accept themselves onto the White House, which is okay now because everybody's decided not to protect Joe Biden anymore. Gosh, these people are really smart. You got to remember, they're doctors, they're scientists, they're experts. If you can't trust high income, high status, college educated people, gosh, who can you trust? Those people would never take advantage of any situations for their own benefit. And by the way, I can say that I used to be one of those people. And I used to go along with a lot of it because I didn't spend that much time figuring out whether or not I was wrong. I took it for granted that people like me must be right. But what are people like me, like I used to be? What are they actually like? Well, let's look at the fake administration. That's a good place to start. This is the New York Post from yesterday. No business at the White House. Biden's inexperienced lackeys unlikely to pull U.S. out of inflation doom. You've heard the saying, get woke, go broke. 
Well, that is exactly what is happening to America as President Biden prioritizes woke concerns such as climate change and gender and racial equity over sound economic management. With inflation hitting a spine chilling record 9.1%, there is fat chance of his know nothing administration having the competence and know how to pull us out of this doom spiral. It's no accident either, since Biden deliberately has appointed people who tick the right diversity boxes in terms of their physical appearance, with no concern about whether they are qualified to oversee a $6 trillion federal government. A staggering new report from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity shows that most of Biden's top officials have zero experience in business. Economists Stephen Moore and John Decker analyzed the work records and resumes of 68 officials with carriage of the economy and found almost two thirds have zero business experience, including Biden himself. Just one in eight has what you could call extensive business experience. Their report, not ready for primetime players, has found that the average business experience of Biden appointees is only 2.4 years and the median years of business experience is a big fat zero. Most of Biden's economic team are lawyers, community organizers, lobbyists or government employees. Instead of grabbing the reins of the economy to set things right at a time of crisis, they are preoccupied with big spending programs and woke priorities while working people and small businesses drown. Starting at the top, Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris both have zero years of business experience, and it shows. Having inherited an inflation rate of 1.4% when he took office, Biden and his team of geniuses ignored warnings last March that the $1.9 trillion American rescue spending plan would overstimulate the economy at precisely the wrong time. Morgan Stanley recently attributed most of the rise in inflation to excessive fiscal stimulus provided during the pandemic, particularly during the last $1.9 trillion package at the end of March 2021, just as the economy was already emerging from the lockdowns. In our view, this is what turbocharged consumption and drove inflation to 40-year highs. The president has tried to blame Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, Republicans, COVID-19, the supply chain, oil company executives and gas station owners, everything but his own foolish policies, particularly his green energy agenda. He and his advisors have spent the last year claiming inflation was transitory, temporary, a good sign, and even, as his chief of staff, Ron Klain, suggested, a high-class problem. But no one exposed to the real economy was fooled since every visit to the gas pump or the supermarket told the truth. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. Biden snapped last July when challenged about an inflation rate, which at that point was soaring towards 6%. I don't know anybody who's worried about inflation, he said. And that's the problem. Barely anybody in his administration understands the economy. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has zero business experience, having spent her life in academia and government. That might explain why she was in denial about inflation for so long, refused to admit the $1.9 trillion stimulus poured fuel on the fire, and has advocated more spending and higher taxes in the form of Biden's $5 trillion Build Back Better plan, which, luckily, 
failed to pass Congress or we'd be in an even worse pickle. And by the way, that's not Biden's Build Back Better plan. That's the World Economic Forum's Build Back Better plan. The Build Back Better plan is the global communist agenda, and they created the Build Back Better plan before COVID. Why would they have anticipated the need to build back better? Well, because they had a plan and the plan was called the Great Reset. And part of implementing that Great Reset plan was the pandemic narrative. Again, Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, sponsored, by the way, by Bill Gates, wrote the plan. But I know, I know it's a conspiracy theory. Of course, Biden and his partners in delusion, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, are still scheming to ram through some version of the plan. The cascade of policy and management mistakes that are piling up in the Biden government are at least in part a consequence of lack of basic skills and competency, write Moore and Decker. We want people who know how to cut costs, manage logistics, increase productivity, meet payroll, and make a profit. Or in the case of the government, avoid large losses. But no such luck with Biden's crew. You might think an outfit called the Council of Economic Advisors would have people with business experience, but no. Chair Cecilia Rouse and council member Heather Bushy only have backgrounds in government, nonprofits, and academia. Javier Becerra, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, have zero business experience. The same goes for John Kerry, ambassador for climate change, who is hell bent on decarbonizing the economy, but doesn't seem to understand the consequences. Shalanda Young, Office of Management and Budget Director, has no business experience. Her background is as a congressional staffer. The same goes for Catherine Tai, U.S. Trade Representative, and Charles Anderson, Director of Economic Policy, COVID-19 Relief Team. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm is listed in the report with two years business experience, but, quote, has a hard time with reporters even citing basic energy statistics, raising doubts over her familiarity with the critical national energy issues she is overseeing. Asked last November what her plan was to increase oil production, Granholm laughed uproariously. Oh, my God, that is hilarious, she said because they don't plan on increasing oil production. In fact, Joe Biden ran on ending fossil fuels. Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation and former small town mayor, has four years in business under his belt, but no expertise in transport or logistics to inform his oversight of a $1 trillion industry and complex supply chain problems. And by the way, his four years in business were for McKinsey, a consultancy firm, despite Pete Buttigieg's clean image and clear diction, his education, his time as a small town mayor, his time as a low level McKinsey employee, he could have circles run around him by someone with a high school education who happens to run a trucking company. But we're supposed to pretend that doesn't matter because he's gay. What about Nadia Beckwith Stanley of the National Economic Council? No. Jessica Rosenworcel, chair of the Federal Communications Commission? Nope. The one shining light is Commerce Secretary Gina Raimundo, 
who spent 11 years as a successful venture capitalist. The contrast is stark with the Trump administration, where the average cabinet member had 13 years of business experience, more than five times that of Biden's team. And the median years of experience was eight compared to the current zero. Donald Trump had 45 years in business. His Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, 42 years. Energy Secretary Dan uh, Briette or Broilette. I don't know how you say that. 14 years. Small Business Administration Administrator. Jovita Carranza, 18 years. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, 25 years. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, 14 years. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, 27 years. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, 23 years. The result was a vibrant economy that lifted all boats. Sadly, the economic sunshine of the Trump years is a faded memory now that the wokesters are in charge. How interesting that far left Trump deranged law professor Pamela Carlin was a member of Facebook's content moderation oversight board at the precise time when the Post's bombshell stories about Hunter Biden's laptop were censored by the big tech giant. Carlin had the gig from April 2020 to January 2021. In other words, for the duration of the election campaign. Once Biden was in office, she scored a federal job at the Department of Justice while still drawing a $1 million salary from Stanford University, as Stephen Nelson reported in these pages. Nice work if you can get it. And that's Miranda Devine writing for the New York Post. No competent person with anything on the line, most particularly their own livelihood, would ever hire these people for the positions that they're in. They would never hire these people for positions in the industries they are overseeing and to some extent governing. So how did they get their jobs? How did they attain such lofty status? It's not through competence. It's not through merit. It's not through experience. It's because they played the game the right way. They rose high enough on the ladder through the hierarchy in the party of false decorum. And now they're way up high. And once you're way up high, what do you have to do to stay there or to keep rising? Well, at some point, it's only corruption and compromise. You have to turn a blind eye to evil and incompetence, as all those employees of the FDA and the CDC did. Or you have to do what you're told and participate in it, as all of these Biden officials have done and continue to do. And the worst part of all of it is that all of them think they're doing a very good job because the people higher than them in the hierarchy are happy with exactly what they're doing, because that's how they want the world to be, those people at the top. So the people better than them approve, and the people like them approve too. The people like them have to approve, or else their growth will be stunted. They'll be punished. They'll be exiled from the party of false decorum. And above all, in the false reality, that is what must be avoided. That is the worst of all worlds. And you can't even begin to approach it because once you start, oh, you're going to slide all the way down. It's a very slippery slope. The smart thing is to shut up. It's to pretend the false reality is true. It's to go along to get along. Otherwise, you might be forced to discover that you're wrong about all of it. The low information voters aren't the stupid ones. It's you, the no information voter. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. 
They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!